Good morning. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Yes, I have fully recovered from yesterday's heartbreak. I am a Cleveland Browns fan, diehard Cleveland Browns fan, and I am indeed dying hard after this team did it to me again. They did it again. It just, it always ends. You know, here's what it is. (laughs) It's just always, always an ugly ending with this team. And yesterday was no different. I mean, what a season they had, and then they come down, and yesterday they do that. For anybody who doesn't follow football, basically, the Cleveland Browns had this like surprisingly really good season. They ended up winning 11 games, probably could have won 12, but they didn't even try in the last week because they were already in the playoffs, and they decided to rest a bunch of their players, which turned out to not be the smart move because they came out yesterday like they've never played football before. But uh, But anyway... They had this really good surprise season, and the reason it was such a surprise is because they had everybody get hurt. They're starting running back. They're starting quarterback. Just just a bunch of people got hurt throughout the year, and so they were kind of plugging and playing, especially at the quarterback position where they started five different people over the course of the season, which is unheard of. Most teams start one person. Somebody gets hurt, they end up starting a second person. You might occasionally see a team start three people, but the amount of teams that have started four quarterbacks in a season is a really short list, and the amount that have started five, I think, is almost non-existent. The Browns started five different quarterbacks this season, still ended up winning 11 games, go to the playoffs yesterday, kind of a Cinderella story. Granted, they're playing another Cinderella story, though, in the Houston Texans, who kind of didn't even really know they were going to make the playoffs till the very last minute. They got in at the at, you know at the, the right right as the door was closing in the final week of the season. So both teams really kind of came in as these like I'm not even supposed to be here things. So either team that won was going to go forward or and will go for Houston will go forward with this sort of Cinderella story. They have a rookie quarterback yada yada. Nonetheless, they crushed the Browns yesterday. I mean, the Browns just got beat by I think it was 31 points when it was all said and done. And it was just an absolutely deflating way to end a season. Such a good season with so much exciting stuff. So a lot of people yesterday are kind of teasing me. or te- You know, a lot of people are nice texting me things like unbelievable, to which I, I came up with a response, and I just started writing everybody back saying, Nothing has ever been more believable. I am 23 years in with this team, and I can tell you nothing is more believable than a season ending in an absolute cluster. An absolute cluster. So, you know, am I over it? I don't know. I mean, it'll always sting a little bit. It's only the next day. It's just football. Luckily, it's just sports. It's just something fun to watch on weekends. But nonetheless, you know, you, you're, you enjoy the ride, and it sucks when the ride's over. Now, I will say this. I also like the Bills. I know you don't get to have two NFL teams. I do have sort of sports, as, as Brother Wheeze would have called it, sports douchebaggery in me. I've got a little bit of that in my blood where I understand that you don't get to have two teams. So I do, you know, I root for the Browns. That's my team. The Bills, I pull for. We'll put it that way. I pull for the Bills. I like to see the Bills do good. Uh, But when the Bills lose, it doesn't really ruin my debt. You know, like the Browns still leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Honestly, if it was the Bills who had lost yesterday in that fashion, I, I, you know, I'm over it by the time that the game is over. So it's not quite as much of an emotional investment. That being said, I still like to see the Bills win. My wife likes the Bills. I want to see her happy. It's been a lot of fun with my wife being into football. So I'm going to root for the Bills now. I'm going to root for the Bills now. Go Bills. Go Bills. 
I, I shouldn't say it because it's a jinx rooney especially coming from a Bills a Browns fan, but uh, they shouldn't have any issues with the Steelers. I will say, although, the Steelers are never easy. As much as the Bills are up and down just a better team than the Steelers, the Steelers are still just never an easy team to beat for anybody. They, they're just always, for some reason, they put up a fight. So, anyway, uh, Bills game getting postponed. It was controversial for why? Why would it be controversial? The, the, here's the thing. First of all, I, I don't know. I'm recording this as of 7.15 Sunday morning. I looked at the Buffalo weather. It looks pretty bad. People probably shouldn't be out in that. All right? For one. For two, what's so bad about having the game on Monday at 4.30? I, some people got to work. I, to me, unless you have a job or a boss, first of all, a lot of people don't have to work. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. A lot of people do have tomorrow off. Banks, schools, I know there's no mail tomorrow, right? You got a lot of people have it off. Private business maybe doesn't have it off. Here's the beauty, though, about a lot of jobs. There's a, and by the way, they don't play till 4.30. It's not like they play in the middle of the day. But they play at 4.30. So maybe, just maybe, if you did have to work, this would actually be a good thing. And I'll tell you why. Because even, who loves work? Hey, look, I love my job. I love my job. Love it. I don't always like it. There's sometimes that there are tedious things that I have to do. How great would it be to have the Bills game on in the background while you're working? Let's say you do have to work. It, like, for example, my plant, we have second shift tomorrow. I got people working between 4.30 and 7.30 or however long this game will go. I got a shift works tomorrow from 3 to 11 p.m. To me, and this is probably me exposing myself right now as a bad boss, but to me... The fact that they're they're making sauce, they can have this game on the radio or on the Alexa or whatever, and they can uh, and and listen to the game while they're working. To me, that would make the time pass faster to be able to listen to the game. I, am I way out of touch right now as a boss? You know, my wife was telling me she's like, you need to give people off. I'm like, no. <laughs> my wife goes, set don't. She goes, cancel second shift tomorrow. You can't make people work through the Bills game. I told her no. Like, I can't, I'm not canceling second shift because of a football game. I will tell you this, I understand that they want to catch the game, and I think it's perfectly fine for them to have it on the radio while they work. What, uh, is that bad? Am I? Uh, or can we play a game of AITA? Am I the asshole here? Maybe I am. If I am, I would like to know. I would actually want to know. Am I the asshole for, for not canceling the shift tomorrow? But instead thinking, hey, you get to have it on the radio, and now that's going to just you know sort of make that time go by a little faster, right? Same thing with after that. I mean, I grant, granted my employees par- probably aren't quite as invested in that second football game. I think it's Buccaneers-Eagles. But nonetheless, it's something to put on the, the, uh, put on the radio and make time go by faster, I guess, right? All right. I don't know. You'll tell me, I guess, if I'm the jerk in this situation. I, uh, I do think, though... It's a little sad because I was looking forward to something nice to watch today at 1 o'clock. Now, tomorrow at 4.30. That's a tough time. I think we're getting a little hint of what West Coasters deal with sometimes, though, where games that are on the East Coast are getting played so early. We complain all the time. God knows I'm right there complaining all the time about games being on too late. And that's what we deal with on the East Coast. On the West Coast, they deal with games being on so early. Think about, you know, all the times if you're, if you're a big sports fan and you're on the West Coast... You know, a lot of these 8.30 games that we watch, football games, you know, NBA, uh, MLB, when they're in the World Series and they're in the uh, 
NBA championship, they're playing games at 8 o'clock, 8.30. And for the West Coasters, those games are starting at 5, 5.30. Those are tough, right? Same reason why we're complaining about tomorrow. I got to work. You know? And and here's the thing. If you are just a, a diehard hard sports fan, let's say you're, a, I don't know, you live in California, you live in Los Angeles, you're a diehard Dodgers fan. Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, every time they go on the East Coast, they're playing these 7 p.m. games. It's like 4 o'clock. And you got to work. You work at 9 to 5. I mean, this, we're getting a little taste of that. What it would be like to be on West Coast time, I guess. Nobody's got it better than Central Time. Central Time has it right. Because Central Time is just one hour earlier. Everything's just one hour earlier. And I feel like it's that's like the perfect mix. Speaking of Central Time, about a month, month and a half ago, the Cleveland Browns played the Chicago Bears and won. And I had a bet with a friend of mine. This girl named Monica who uh, works for Baldwin Richardson Foods. She's a food scientist. And I was introduced to her when we started doing some work with Baldwin Richardson Foods in uh, about a year ago at this time, early 2023. And um, kind of she got kind of assigned to our, uh, our project and ended up making friends with her. We bonded immediately because... Our birthdays are both March 31st, <laughs> so we just immediately bond. We become friends, and honestly, in the last year, she's helped me out with a few a few food science conundrums or issues or, you know, kind of pinches that I've been in, and uh, and I'm just a big fan of hers, and we get along well. So, and, and when I went to Chicago in November for Private Label Manufacturer Association trade show, we went and saw her office and, and uh, got to see it was really, really cool. Anyway, long story short, she's a Bears fan. I'm a Browns fan. We did this bet. Browns ended up winning that game a month ago or so. As a result of that bet, she had to send me some Chicago stuff. And she sent me an entire package of Lou Malnati's deep dish pizza. Now, the bet was for one pizza, but she went above and beyond. And I got to tell you, you know, we're, 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 we are good she and I are like the same person. We're like buddies. We really get along well. I would have done the exact same thing. She sent me this package of like seven Lou Malnati's pizzas, barely even fit in my freezer, and some chocolates, some rum balls, chocolate rum balls. And those are freaking delicious, by the way, too. But the Lou Malnati's deep dish frozen pizza, which you can buy online. You can buy right now. You can go on their website. You can buy it, have it shipped right here to Rochester. The Lou Malnati's frozen deep dish pizza might actually be the best frozen pizza I have ever had. I fired it up, fired the oven up. It was actually my oven's last stand. We'll get to that story. But I, I, I fired the oven up and made one of these pizzas on Saturday night and uh, devoured it Saturday night. Now, I, I was just in Chicago in November for that trade show, and uh, my colleague and I, Nick Riggio, who I brought with me, went to Lou Malnati's Pizzeria one of those nights and had a deep dish pizza. My memory of what that was like versus what I ate standing in my own kitchen in Rochester, uh, they, they were really close. I mean, I think it might be the best frozen pizza I've ever had. I think they came really close to mimicking what happened in the restaurant, frankly. Really, really good pizza. I was just really delighted, and I've got a freezer full of more of them. So, yeah deep dish over the course of the next couple of months at my house once a week i think yeah the oven yeah i might as well tell that story so this is just you know just to make that browns game yesterday even worse <laughs> my lovely wife has decided she's gonna make chicken wing dip and god bless her right like thank i mean what a wonderful person she knows we've got football to watch tonight you know saturday night she's like 
the Browns are on. That's Polly's team. Then she's interested in watching the Chiefs Dolphins for a combination of it's you know who are the Bills going to end up playing, and then also Taylor Swift <laughs> and, and she likes football. So she's like, I'm going to make chicken wing dip. And I go, Oh my god, sweetie, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I love you so much. She's great. She makes this. She assembles her chicken wing dip. She puts the oven on. Preheat the oven, right? Comes back 10 minutes later. The oven has not moved at all. You know, our oven, as well as ovens, comes on. It's like 100 degrees for a couple of minutes. Then eventually it kicks in and it kind of goes pretty quickly and it'll advance to wherever it needs to go. Well, she turns it on, goes to 100 degrees. She forgets about it for five or 10 minutes, goes back in thinking, you know, when is this thing going to be preheated? And it's not. It's not moving. It's at like 120 and it's just staying at 120. And so, um, you know, she starts to worry. She opens the, the uh, oven, and she gets this kind of smell of gas. And, uh, y- you know, as soon as she smells gas, she's in panic mode. Meanwhile, this is all happening simultaneously with the Browns game where things are falling apart quickly. So I've got a, a, an anxious myself. I am full of anxiety watching this Browns game. My wife is now chocked full of anxiety because the oven is busted. And, uh, and so she's calling me in there left and right. I'm smelling. Yeah, it smells a little bit like gas. All right, let's turn it on. Let's open a window. You know, let's try again. Let's turn it on again. And, and you know, what's probably happening is that there's like a, a pilot light. Or I don't know how ovens work. So if you do, forgive me if I sound stupid right now. But there's probably like a pilot light or something that's just not catching. And so the oven is or it's catching and blowing out quickly. Like we had this issue with one of our kettles at craft cannery at my plant where we had a light a pilot light that wouldn't stay lit it would light and the kettle would would start to heat up but then it would just go out at some point and then it would try to turn back on and eventually it would but instead of just being on it would be on and then off and then on and then off and then on and then off and it would just kind of keep doing that and i kind of feel like that might be what our oven is doing like is there a, a you know, like, again, like a pilot light or something, because it seems like it's kind of working. It's just not working anywhere near as efficiently as it should be. You know, like, I wonder if I went up and turned it on to 400 degrees or whatever and just waited for, like, two hours if it would eventually get up to temperature. I don't know. Anyway, the fact that you could smell a little gas makes it dangerous. So my wife decides we're going to call our genie. So we call our genie. Guy comes, by the way, fan-freaking-tastic guy who comes. Drives here from Webster. Just a wonderful dude. Totally comforting. First thing he does is tells us everything's going to be fine. You know, he's got his reader thing, and he's not picking up any carbon monoxide, any gas, anything like that. He's, he's saying it's, you know, you're, you, there's, no, there's no leak. Your house is not going to blow up. You're not breathing in toxic fumes right now. Not, none of that. You're fine. We're safe. Looks at the oven, kind of, you know, he's rg so he can't, like, fix your appliance for you but he you know give you your opinion and it's the same opinion that we kind of already had which was this thing just isn't really igniting um i don't mess with electricity or gas i mean who are we kidding i can't fix anything but i'm certainly not even going to try when it comes to electricity or gas so this idea of trying to like light the pilot light it, it ain't happening i'm not doing that i'm not sticking a lighter into my freaking oven while it's on uh <laughs> it doesn't seem smart so he tags the oven because I think because he technically has to because we've called him and because he can see it's not working properly. So we shouldn't be working it, right? So he tags it 
And now we have to call an appliance company, get it fixed, and then call RGE. They'll come back out and remove the tag. It's kind of a pain in the ass, but technically I get it. The problem, what he was explaining to me is, he's saying, like, look, if you, I've tagged this oven now, and if you were to have a house fire that was somehow caused by a gas issue or this oven or something, he goes, your home insurance is not going to cover it because you're not supposed to be functioning this oven. And I thought that was, you know, nice of him to kind of tell us that little bit of a warning because, you know, what's what's somebody going to do? They're going to turn that gas right back on and just, like, use the top of the oven, right? Or the stove, I should say. Use the top of the stove. And he's just going, like, no, I'm, you know, don't, uh, he's going, like, you know, I listen, I, I'm leaving. I don't know what you're going to do when I leave, but it's tagged. And if you do something and your house blows up or you catch on fire, you're going to lose your house. And your home insurance isn't going to pay for it. And, he, and you know, he's not hes not condescendingly or, or he's not being a jerk. He's just telling me, like, look, dude, cover your ass here. So loved it. Loved this guy. Just thought he was fantastic. Kind of put us at ease. We ended up ordering food last night, kind of last minute, because we were going to make this wing dip. And maybe, honestly, maybe one of those Lumonani's pizzas. Uh, but we ended up ordering food. We ordered from the Swan Dive because I had just had a meeting with John Swan recently about maybe rolling out some sauces for his family of restaurants. If anybody doesn't know, he owns, God, at this point, I don't even know if I can list them all. Ox and Stone, what, Dorado, Leonore's, Vern's, Pearson's. What am I missing? I feel like I got to be missing something. Owns half the freaking Park Ave. And um, uh, so he he wanted to, yeah, he, he wants to roll out some sauces. And I had said that he brought his, like, cook from the or his chef from swan dive with him and i just talked about you know the just most famous mozzarella sticks in rochester i mean you can get everybody loves a good mozzarella stick and you can get mozzarella sticks anywhere they're mostly all the same mozzarella sticks but swan dive like has these homemade giant mozzarella sticks and they're just to die for and i asked when are those going to be on doordash and he said we just finally put them up there and so that had stuck out in my head for a week or two. And so when it came time to order food, kind of at this point, it's late. It's like six thirty, seven o'clock. We're going, you know, we got it. We, what are we going to do for dinner now? We're hungry. We're not making chicken wing dip, right? So we just real quick go on DoorDash and order some food. And I ordered Swan Dive. And sure enough, mozzarella sticks, buddy. There they are. Ha ha. Ha ha. Good stuff. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I feel like so far this podcast kind of stunk. We're turning this thing around, ladies and gentlemen. I've got great interviews coming up the next couple of weeks. This week alone, I am interviewing uh, Brad Payne. He is the future CEO of Country Max. His father is the actual current owner and operator of Country Max, and his grandfather is actually the founder of Country Max. And so we will talk to Brad. Uh, I believe I'm interviewing him on Tuesday. That, that will likely be the episode that comes out one week from today. And then on Thursday of this week, I'm going out to interview uh, Agathy and Zach, the owners of the Arbor Loft venues. They are, they are now up to three or four different venues, and I'm very excited to talk about them because Agathy to me, Zach too, I mean, Zach's a great guy and everything, but Agathy is just this freaking force of entrepreneurship, just, just kind of describes it in so many ways or personifies the ultimate entrepreneur. And so I'm excited to talk to her as well. That episode, I think, likely to come out a couple weeks from now. So just getting a lot more interviews on the books. Really love entrepreneurship. I mentioned we have some 
um, announcements coming, uh, big news coming, and one of the pieces of big news has to do with this podcast. Still just a little early. I don't know if that'll be out next week or not or two weeks from now, but sooner than later we're, we will get to that. We'll get to, to, to the uh, announcement regarding this podcast. And so I really want to make sure that we're getting at least half the episodes to be interviews. Uh, maybe ultimate goal is about three quarters, but I think I can live with about half of them being interviews with, uh, with business owners. Not just the food industry. I tend to be partial to the food industry. But entrepreneurs of all kinds, I uh, really, really love the hustle and the roller coaster that is business ownership. I just, I think it's just this drug that I've taken that I can't get off of. And, um, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, those are the types of people I want to talk to. So I did have, speaking of careers and jobs and things, I did have a weird week this week. In terms of like blast from the past, I had one, two, three, four. I had four conversations with people who work currently in radio, four different people, people who work currently in radio this week, which is weird because I've, I go at times months at a time without ever even given radio a second thought, but it was a big part of my life for a big time. So when it kind of comes around, it still just sparks that little bit of my heart, you know, that's kind of like, oh, let's talk. And um, I, I, I don't know to what extent I should talk about this. I mean, one of them, you know, four conversations. One of them was relatively insignificant. It, it just had to do with like ratings. And I guess ratings came out this week. And somebody was asking me if I knew anything about ratings. I didn't even know they came out this week. And I didn't know anything about ratings. So that's kind of, you know, not really that significant. <laughs> Two of them were phone calls with current people in radio asking me advice for something. I got to tell you the truth. I was flattered. I was really, really flattered by both of those phone calls. Two different people for two different companies asking me what I thought about a situation that was coming up for them in radio. And I was like, man, I am like that was so I got to tell you the truth. I don't know if that is something that is okay to admit because you're like, yeah, Polly, I get it. Or if that kind of makes me look vain or like I have an ego. I don't think my ego's out of control, but I, I'm a human, so it, any human's going to have some ego. And I think I can't argue to you that I don't have any ego. I certainly have some ego. I just think it's in check. But I have some ego, so it played to my ego a little bit. And I don't know what to say. Like that's that kind of that's kind of nice. I don't know. It was just nice. It made me feel good about myself. You know, if that's a bad thing to admit, then so be it. But it made me feel good about myself that I had two people reach out for advice on something regarding radio. These are current radio employees uh, doing their thing and asking me what I thought about this, whatever they had to, to, you know, going on. And I think in fairness, I probably should not talk about those things because it would probably identify who they were. And in, in that case, you know, I do know that there's people inside of the building, at least, you know, two main companies in town who listen to this on a regular basis. And it would just could potentially get back to their managers who wouldn't be super happy about it. So um, I maybe I've already said too much anyway, because there's not that many people who work there to begin with. <laughs> so like, who could it actually be? But anyway, and then the fourth conversation was with uh, uh, somebody I, I suppose I will identify. I think I don't think she was serious. Maybe she was. But I was yesterday at the Big Brothers Big Sisters retreat, 
uh, which is something we do once a year. It's sort of a glorified board meeting. It's like a six, seven hour long board meeting. Um, and where we kind of just hash out, you know, the whole year and, uh, uh, sitting on that board, uh, which I am now as of January 1st, I'm vice chair of that board, which is such a great gig because vice chair kind of doesn't actually mean anything. It just means that if the chair has to miss a meeting that you lead that meeting. Um, but you know, the vice chair kind of really just, it's kind of the best gig there is to tell you the truth. Anyway, <clears throat> don't tell anyone I said that. But on that board also is the general manager of the uh, local Odyssey stations. Her name is uh, Sue Munn. And I don't know Sue that well, but I know her a little bit from being on this board with her. And honestly, the little bit I know of her so far, I think pretty highly of her. Um, but again, I don't really know her that well. But we had just been chatting a little bit about radio and uh, and she kind of threw something in there that she was probably throwing out there without really meaning it. I mean, I, I, I don't know. But she did kind of say something like, hey, we should get you on our airwaves. Would you ever return to radio? And I that question took me. It took me back a little bit because my real answer to that is that you never say never and that I have always and I will always love radio. And this is exactly what I said to her, too, by the way, in the moment. I said, I never say never. And... I have always and will always love radio. So for those two reasons, I, I, the answer is probably never say never. The third thing, though, and the unfortunate part is I literally just can't. I do not have the capacity in my life right now to do it because I feel like I have <coughs> a tiger by the tail in my career, what I'm doing with Craft Cannery. I feel like it's going really well. We're getting good at it. Things are building, and I have got to see it through. I have to see it through. But at some point, will it be through? You know what I mean? Like, at some point, 10, 20 years down the road, what's going to happen? Do I, is it successful enough that I can sort of retire, become, you know, chairman of the board, which is a glorified way of saying, you know, basically get involved for big decisions only, but no longer there day to day? You know, and again, we're talking years down the road here, years down the road. But do you eventually get to a point like that? Or the other thing is, do you eventually get to a point where you can sell the business and you sell the business? And, and this is honestly kind of where my head's at more. Let's say 10 years go by. Somehow, miraculously, we're able to sell this business. I walk away with a little bit of money that gives me the, the ability to, you know, make make a, a calculated choice next. Right. I walk away where I don't desperately need a job. Um, uh, you know, I, I just kind of have like this ability to, well, you know, what do I want to do next? If I'm smart about it, I can do almost anything I want. I've got time on my hands now. That's scary. That's very scary because I don't think I have it in me to do nothing. I don't know what I could become if I didn't have a job, right? Like what would I become? So Maybe I just pour myself even further into my not-for-profits, which I love doing that work. You know, maybe, God willing, I become like a gym rat, a health nut. I, I wake up, I make breakfast for the family, I go to the gym for a couple hours, I make lunch for the family, I, you know, read and study, and then I make dinner for the family. That would be nice, too. There's also this idea, too, like a dream job for me would be to open up just a tiny little, like, six to eight table breakfast joint somewhere have like two employees and and i would be like the the host sort of you know you come in i find you your table we have a cook we have a server 
and then you got me just kind of walking around talking to people and refreshing their coffee. That's also a dream job. But then there's the third thing I thought of, which is, look, 10 years go by. I'm in this position. We, we've sold the business. I'm, I'm you know, sitting around with, with a little bit of money and nothing to do. Never say never in terms of going back into radio. I don't know. Does radio even still exist in 10 years? That's the other question, right? I don't know. Talk to Sue a little bit about that, too. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the state of radio is in 10 years, let alone 20 or 30. Who knows if I'm still around in 10 years? I, there's just a lot of I don't know there. But again, I, guys, I, again, I don't know if it makes me an ugly human being to admit this. It played to my ego a little bit. I thought this was really flattering that she would even say that. And she wasn't super genuine. It's not like she was saying, listen, Polly, look at me. Do you want to get back into radio? Because if you do, you are hired. That's not what she said. That's not what she said. What she said was, would you ever get back into radio? You know, what do you think? I mean, we should put you on our airwaves. Would you ever get back into radio? I think those were her exact words. And I don't know. It just kind of, you know, it was interesting. It's always going to be a little, you know, I mentioned like a drug, right? Like entrepreneurship, small business, that's like a drug for me. Uh, radio is always going to be like a, like, kind of like smoking, right? I smoked from age 16 to 22. I quit smoking. Uh, last cigarette I ever had was on my 30th birthday. I'm 40 right now. I do not think about smoking for days, weeks, months on, but a couple times a year, some moment will happen or something will happen that will make me go, God, I'd really love a cigarette right now. Or it'll just make me wonder, how bad would it be if I smoked one cigarette right now, right? That's kind of like what radio has become for me too. I'll go weeks, days, weeks, months without thinking about it, and then all of a sudden I'll have a week like this. I get these two phone calls. I get asked for advice. I've got a former colleague texting me about ratings, and then I got the general manager of a local cluster asking me if I'd ever get back into radio, and all of a sudden I'm going like, oh, yeah, you know what, I do have that little tiny addiction somewhere in there. So it's interesting. It's interesting to me. That's all. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, I did write this thing. I, I, you know, I want to do one more thing before we quit here. I wrote this thing up about success. I had been th- I've been thinking a lot recently about what leads to success, and it was mostly led by a conversation, a couple conversations I've had over long periods of time about how skill set isn't enough. You can't just be good at something and expect to succeed in a career. You've got to play office politics. And uh, I get that. I certainly get that mentality, but I wanted to kind of break that down and say, what is what exactly is what are office politics what are we talking about here what are the keys to success what are the things that make you rise in a company and i think i've written it out here and i kind of want to run it by you guys and see if you think this is what it is because there there is no doubt that there is quote unquote office politics at play in how you rise through a company however what how does that break down what are office politics a lot of people like to just see somebody else get a promotion that they don't think they deserve and say, well, it's politics. And then they don't go beyond that. They don't go any deeper. What are the politics? So let's talk about the four things. You've heard me talk about restaurants a million times. I think there's four things that make a successful restaurant or will tell you how successful a restaurant will be. Right? It's location, atmosphere, food, service. And I've always said, I think you need to have a 100 out of 100 on at least two of those things. And you cannot afford to have a zero out of 100 score on any of those four things. I think it's a similar breakdown for success. I think it's, 
I think it's skill set, charisma, connections, and self-marketing. And I think you have to have a 100 out of 100 on at least two of those things and cannot afford to have a zero out of 100 on any of those things. But let's break down exactly what I'm talking about. So let's start with skill set. People say it doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you know. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I'm going to be honest with you. But what you know has to exist. You can't not know anything. Let's go into skill set. What do I mean by skill set? It's pretty simple. What are you great at? What are you phenomenal at? What are you so incredibly good at? Skill set. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to just be a skill. I also think there's some room here for, did you invent something? Did you strike gold on something? Was there a moment that you did or created something patentable or that could be, or, or you know, something like just a true honest to God breakthrough? So, it, you know, it could be either thing. It could be just that you've taken the skill and gotten so incredibly good at it or... It could be that you found or created a breakthrough moment at some point and sort of invented or created something that creates tremendous customer value. (coughs) But at the end of the day, there has to be substance. This is your substance. This is the thing. What are you amazing at or what did you invent or create? Okay? That's one. Two is charisma. How do we define charisma? Charisma is your ability to influence people. It's your ability to sound like you know what you're talking about because you do. It's your ability to know what you're talking about, but also put the people around you at ease and draw them into what you're talking about. So how good are you at sitting in a room full of people and when the ball gets handed to you, being the center of attention. Now, this is why I say when the ball gets handed to you because charisma, sometimes people fake charisma and it comes off very corny. Sometimes people sit in a room and they won't shut up and it's annoying. It's not charismatic. It's annoying. You need to understand when it's your time to shine and when it is, are you so good at captivating that room that everyone in that room stops looks at you, and they're drawn into what you're talking about. So can you take your competency from your skill set and explain it to people in a way that puts them and makes them feel at ease and so that they trust you? So we have two things, right? Number one, skill set. Number two, charisma. Number three, self-marketing. Number three is self-marketing. Number three is how good are you at telling people how good you are? (laughs) So now this is outside. Now what I'm talking about here is you're probably saying, well, this sounds similar to charisma, Polly. No, charisma is sort of the micro version and self-marketing is the macro version. So the micro version is in the conference room with the people who you're going to be in a conference room with. But you're not going to be in a conference room with all people. Some people don't know you. They don't know your company or they only know of you. They only know of your company. That's the macro. That's the self-marketing. How good are you at getting out and allowing people to know how good you are? So it's essentially marketing, PR, if you will, public relations of yourself. How good are you at making sure the world knows that you're good at what you do. 
That's number three. So we have skill set, charisma, self-marketing, and the fourth thing absolutely is connections. The fourth thing is who are these people that you've made aware of how good you are? Have you managed to connect to and to connect with the quote-unquote movers and shakers of either your community or the greater community. I don't know if the community is, you know, it kind of depends how successful you're going to be. Is is the community your town? Is it your county? Is it your state? Is it your country? Is it the world? Right? I mean, in some cases, it could be any of those things, and that's, of course, your level of overall success. But how great are your connections, and how well have you managed letting your connections sort of know Right, like it's kind of self-marketing and then who are you self-marketing to? So this is your, your greater, your macro net, the people around you and around your community who are going to notice you without you necessarily physically being in front of them. So I think it's those things. And then let's go back and clean up a couple parts of this because I already know what you're going to say. But so just to re- recap, skill set, charisma, self-marketing, and connections. It's what do you know? How charismatic are you about it? How good are you at telling people what you know? And who do you know? Essentially, connections is who do you know? Which, of course, is what a lot of people think it's all about. But I think it's an important ingredient, but it's not the whole thing. If you know some important people, but you don't know how to do anything, you don't have a skill set, there's nothing about you that brings value, it doesn't matter who you know. So now, let's just cover the thing that you're probably thinking. There's there's a hole or two in this, right? The hole is... Okay, Polly, but explain those who are born on third base. Explain, you know, the second, third, and fourth generation, the people who inherit the family fortune and just kind of, you know, are gifted the the seed of, you know, CEO or whatever. And, 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 and we have to talk about that. So it fits, it still fits in there somewhere. And I'll explain. Skill set. We talked about skill set. What are you great at? Or what did you invent? Or what is it that makes you uniquely qualified? Really is skill set, right? I, you're not going to like it. And this is where life isn't fair. But I think when somebody is, just happens to be born into it, that falls under skill set as what makes them uniquely qualified. They happen to be the daughter or the son of the person that founded the thing. And that is a unique qualifier. And no, you're right. It's not fair. It's not fair. But it is a unique qualifier. It falls under the skill set portion, I think. I do think <coughs> they still have to have a little charisma. They still have to be able to self-market a bit. They probably need to pick up a skill set at some point. And, of course, the connections are probably going to come easy because of who their parents or their grandparents are. But listen, it's not always just a born-on-third-base silver spoon thing. There are plenty of stories where second and third and fourth or whatever generations have done things to grow businesses and take them to the next level that their parents weren't able to do. There's a really good story, actually, in, in Rochester, and I hope I'm not out of line for talking about it, but uh, you know who? It's uh, Isaac Heating and Cooling. Ray Isaac, the current CEO of Isaac Heating and Cooling, took that business and blew it up really just took it to another level of success. Now, his father, who I was lucky enough to know, a gentleman, a wonderful man, a good business person, 
ran that business for a long time, Jim Isaac, and did perfectly fine. He did absolutely perfectly fine running that business. Ray came around and kind of took it to another level. You know, and Ray obviously has siblings, and there's been a lot of help there, but it's not always the case. We we hear about these cases of nepotism where the kid, second, third generation comes in, and they kind of squander it or they ruin it. It's not always the case. Sometimes they are perfectly competent. I mean, back to unique qualifier. The one thing that that kid had that you didn't have was that they got to be around their mom or dad or whoever it is that founded that company for all those years, and they were formed by that person. So that person founded that company and and really just being around the founder for decades is enough training sometimes to be able to do it yourself. I know I sound bad because I'm defending nepotism right now, and there are certainly some bad examples. Certainly some bad examples where the kid has come in and squandered it all away. But I also think that we're sometimes not fair about how uniquely qualified that person might actually be to run that business. That's all I'm saying. Okay. That's it. I appreciate you. I love you. Next week, probably it's Brad Payne. Could be Agathy and Zach. Those are probably your next two episodes. Appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Go Bills and have a great week.